This is Steve D'Agostino. This is Kier Nachado. This is TJ Walker, a.k.a. The Daddy. This is Gino Crandall from the Lester Riders. This is Ramon Fletcher. And you're now tuned in. And you're now tuned in. And you're tuned in to the BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. Welcome to episode 24 of the BBL Show. I am Jay Marriott. He is Drew Lasker. As per usual, Mr. Lasker, let's check in with your week. Not gonna lie, it's been a tough seven days. Basically, losing more games in the past week than we've lost all season. And I'm remembering that I hate this feeling because it literally affects your entire life off mm. the court. But the benefit of having a family, they're your outlet. So, shout out to my fam for getting me out the house and getting me to do family stuff and taking my mind off of it. But tough week being a Newcastle Eagle, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I could tell you're in a little funk, so I just kind of let you deal with it. But he's back. Believe me, he'll be ready to go for the show. Okay, this week on the show, we are with young British sensation Cameron Hildreth and his dad, Daniel. We are joined by five listeners who were picked at random from our competition, Ask Cam. They will have a chance to fire their questions Cameron's way and see everything behind the scenes at the show. We also have the week's scores and top performers, our Player of the Week nominees, the Alaska look back. But first, say it with me, everyone. The Marriott Minute. Okay, intrigued me. Great Britain basketball have qualified for Eurobasket next summer. It took a buzzer beater from star guard Luke Nelson to lead them past a tough Germany team and then later for France to win and confirm qualification amazing achievement by all involved let me throw my hat in the ring for the call from coach mark stutel a fan of the show by the way he sent us some really nice messages lately to get the head job on a full-time basis how he has navigated this challenge has been admirable he has a special bond with his staff and players passionate he is the man for me Engage me in BBL News. The BBL and WBBL confirmed to have significant funding from this last round of the Sports Winter Survival Package. Great news. Giants have reached in their recruitment bag and come out with a satchel. Hexham replacement Justin Satchel is in at Manchester. Welcome, Justin. Do Worcester regret losing NBA whilst their stock drops? Phoenix had three games this week with three wins, with NBA himself letting us have it. Rightly so. I have had a terrible week on the picks. This Phoenix team are rising, and it's the NBA effect. William Lee gave us his biggest foe should there ever be a BBO slam dunk contest. He's gone with Justin Gordon as his man. Wow, I think we would all love to see that. The rumor mill is working hard this week with suggestions that Breon Brady is headed for the exit door. Let's watch this space to see if there's any truth behind this particular rumor. Let's remember where everyone was left with this Liggins talk. Check out the behind the scenes of Newcastle Eagles with Kieran Achara. Loving these short episodes that are in covering more about our clubs. Great job to all involved there. Amused me. Hands down, the best reaction to the GB national team qualification is Ryan Richards. You need to check that post out. Absolutely hilarious. TikTok style. You guys will love it. Integral player during this Eurobasket campaign has been guard Ben Mockford. His description of the fight in the camp was this. When it's time to fight, you fight like you are the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark. And brother, it's starting to rain. What a great analogy to start a new week. Bring that GB basketball fight and remember the Mockford mantra. And that's it for this week's Marriott Minute. Great assist, Jay. League action kicks off on Tuesday evening as the Leicester Riders take control of the BBL championship with a statement win over the Newcastle Eagles 83-75. Darian Nelson-Henry backs up his fans' player of the week nomination with 20 points and 11 rebounds. 
down in Cheshire Oaks. Jimbo Lowell and company took care of the shorthanded Wolves, 77-68. Big Jimbo with 18 points, eight rebounds. Friday night, four games on the slate. We begin in Surrey with a Division One powerhouse. Solon Kestrels looking to repeat their trophy run from last season. Ryan Richards says, not on my watch, as he led the Scorchers to an 82-73 victory over the Kestrels and a ticket into the trophy semifinals. Richards with his best game of the season, 15 points and three rebounds. Down in Manchester, newly signed Justin Satchel came to the BBL like, hey, where the party at? And what a coming out party he had. 25 points, 10 rebounds, six assists as the Giants took out the slumping Wolves, 98-78, making it two in a row at the nation's capital. The Cheshire Phoenix with an upset over the league favorites, London Lions, 87-80. Mike McCall with 18 points and six rebounds. Swallowing my pride for the betterment of the segment. Live on Sky Sports, the Sharks with the second win in seven days over the Newcastle Eagles, 89-77. Jordan Rattino with 17 points, 13 rebounds, and five assists. Justin Gordon, hurry back, son. Sunday night, Cheshire Phoenix slowly making noise in the league as they complete a weekend of three wins in a row, which makes it five total, and two wins against top four opponents, suffocating the Sharks in the fourth quarter to win 67-57. Karan Ross with 19 points. Leicester Riders complete the weekend with a routine win, 91-77 over the Giants, with a big performance from Corey Johnson, 25 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 steals. And that wraps up this week's BBO action. Fantastic. Okay, Player of the Week nominees. We have three players for you to choose from, starting with Manchester Giants newbie Justin Satchel, with the stat line, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists for a 28 index. Second, Sheffield Sharks guard, Jordan Rotino, 17 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists for a 31 index. And then thirdly, the general, Gino Crandell, Leicester Riders star guard, in with 21 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists for a 29 index. Remember, guys... Get on the Twitter feed. Make sure that you vote with your Twitter fingers. Okay. It's that time in the show where we get those velvety tones of the Alaska look back. In this episode of the Alaska look back, I share the father-son tandems in the British Basketball League making it pro is one hell of an accomplishment. Following it up with the second generation is just as rare as I love my Tomahawk Stakes. In the long history of the NBA, there have been 91 father-son appearances in the history of the league. We've even heard LeBron James share his desire about not only adding to this list, but actually sharing the court with his son, Bronny James, someday. But in the BBL, the history isn't as rich as the NBA, as the league is in only its 33rd season of existence. Just hitting its peak to where the second generation tandems is even feasible. For instance, there have only been four father-son tandems in the history of our league. Himmel's Leon Noel and his son Levi, who played for the Leicester Riders, Jimmy Issa and Plymouth's Brandon Issa, Lee Walker and his son Isaiah, who also suited up for the Plymouth Raiders. And finally, Brighton Bear, Daniel Hildred, and his son, Surrey Star Cameron. What a fraternity. And Cameron, as his mother prefers him to be called, has built up a huge following, even being nicknamed Killer Cam. Sorry, Mom. The 18-year-old has gotten off to an impressive start. In a league where most are providing for their family, The kid has stepped in and contributed 10 points, three rebounds, and 1.6 steals a game. Now, I don't care what type of metric you use, that is very impressive. While we debate if he's the best prospect to ever grace these shores, here's my advice. Let's not. Let's sit back and enjoy his talent because it's very possible you may never see Killer Cam, I mean Cameron, back in the BBL again. And that is your Alaska look back.
And thank you very much, Mr. Lasker. That brings us nicely to our guest this week. Surrey Scorchers, young British rising star Cameron Hildreth, his dad, former Brighton and Weather player and coach Daniel Hildreth, and also our five competition winners. Let's get them in the room. Okay, welcome Dan and Cameron to the show. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. First for the BBL show, we got two generations on an episode. Welcome to the show, fellas. Absolutely. Look, off air, we've had a good chat with our five winners of the Ask Cam competition. Sorry, mum, it's supposed to be Cameron, but we said Ask Cam competition. Uh, <laughs> they are currently muted. So give us a wave, guys, for our little YouTube channel. We will get them on just a bit uh, to shoot some questions your way. I want to start with a little background, okay? So we need to go dad, Dan time for the younger listeners. Introduce them with a brief synopsis of your playing and coaching career. I used to play and now I coach. <laughs> play right? play for who, coach for who, coach where? <laughs> no, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to play uh, BBL for about nine or 10 years. I played Division One. I. I coached uh, in Division One for a number of years as well. Uh, I now run uh, a club with a couple of other people, Sussex Storm, who are just junior based at the moment. And we also base out of Holy Trinity School in Crawley. So, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a case of as soon as my wife fell pregnant, it was always, Are you is it a boy? Is it a boy? Is he going to play basketball? Da, 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 da. That was never the case for me, but that was how it was always perceived. I mean, I'm definitely exposing myself here, but we had some battles back in the day at your, you know, Brighton days, Worthing days. So it will be a, it will be really strange to be out there on the same floor as your son. I was thinking exactly the same. Like I was thinking that, you know, there's a few players that are still playing and then they're seeing Hildreth on the back of the shirt. And obviously this one's a lot better than the one that, that they would have played against. You're not supposed to agree. <laughs> this one's a lot better than the one that they would have played against. But yeah, I, I mean, it's crazy that it's generational like that. And I don't think there's too many that are as old as you, Drew, that are still playing. But, um, you know, there are a couple out there still. I think just me and Darius are probably the only two in the league that's witnessed it. But for me personally, growing up, my uncles used to take me along to every single park and gym around the Houston area. And most of the time they needed an extra body. So as a young kid, I got an opportunity to play against grown men. And that really shaped me early on. And Cameron mentioned in the Argus that he remembered being at all your games. And although he was a little bit too young to remember if he was actually paying attention, but the fact is he was there. So Dan, how do you think that experience being raised in a basketball family has played a part in Cameron's development? And also talk us a little bit through you guys' dynamic. You know, what is your approach to coaching your son? Okay, let me go with the, the, the first question. Okay, I think it's invaluable. You know, him being around basketball, obviously, as you said, how much he, he was taking and wasn't taking in. His first game, he was three years old. He came out of, he, three, three years, three days old. He came out of hospital on the Saturday, three days old, and, and he was at my first game. Obviously, he slept through the whole of it. This was in Worthing. Crowd going crazy. He was just out for the count. So, yeah, of course, he has no recollection of that whatsoever. But just being around the game for as much as he was, um, you know, one of the things that, that, that I've constantly spoken to people about with regards to Cameron is just the, his articulate nature towards detail. Um, you know, he, for example, we'll be driving in the car and we'll stop at some traffic lights and, and he'll look and he'll be like, oh, that's uh, James Brain's number. I'm like, huh? He'll be like, that. yeah, look, look. And I'm looking over and he's, look, he's just seen on a, on a bin that's number nine. He's like, oh, that's James. Or, or we'll be watching a game on TV and he'll be, oh, he's wearing Ryan's shoes. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, so he, he literally, attention to detail was, was off the charts from such a very, very young age. And just being around it, you know, I think everybody always asks, you know, we talked about it earlier, but having a child and is he going to be this, is he, you know. For me, we never forced Cameron into playing basketball. I, I never made him do anything. And I think, you know, as much as anybody here will say that, that, you know, as a young age, he was swimming, he was doing karate, he was doing football, he was doing tennis. Yeah, I mean, literally everything. Because, you know, part of me was that, that of my character is like, 
I don't want to be perceived that I'm somebody pushing him into the sport. He's got to make his own decision. You know, so for me, yes, of course, obviously it's, you know, it's incredible that we're at the stage we're at now. But all those years ago, I never thought that this was going to be the process. I never thought that this is where we were going to, you know, even, even sat here talking to you guys today. I never thought this was going to be the case. As time went on, obviously, speaking to lots of different people, you know, I feel that I'm in a very privileged situation that, that being in the game, that, you know, you can get honest opinions from people that are in the game as well, as opposed to people that just tell you what you want to hear and stuff. But one of the things that, that's always, it's the feedback that's always come back is he's got such a high basketball IQ. And I can only say that's down to the amount of time he's been consumed in the game whether it was watching me being around the game, whether it was watching it on TV, because obviously I was watching it or I was watching games back and, you know, scouting, recruiting, whatever the case may be. He's just been around it the whole time. So I know I'm waffling now, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's been around it. And I think that, that that's been, it's just been invaluable to, to where he is right now in regards to his understanding of the game as much as anything else. Being immersed in it, right? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, I mean, well, how do you feel about it? Do you, how much do you remember from from such a young age? I don't really remember much. I mean, I can probably remember, like, small, tiny things. Like, the only thing I can actually remember... I know what you're going to say. Crap my head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read that, I by the way. I remember <laughs> that I was at a game. I was up in the bleachers, and there was, like, I don't know, 10 people maybe watching. Like, All right, okay. Uh, yeah. Division one days. <laughs> and um, I was running across, like, the top of the bleachers, and there was, like, basketball hoops that were attached to the wall. And I can't even remember. I was running away from someone or something. I can't remember what. I know what you did. You were running because it was half time. You ran down to the court to facts, shoot. Facts. <laughs> and then I was running. And then there was like this thing. I just ran straight into the hoop. And then I got this massive scar still there today, wow. just bleeding. Like I just ran into it and then just started touching my head, crying. And then they didn't do it. They didn't take me to a hospital or anything. His eyes fine. Don't worry about it. And then, that's probably yeah, that's probably yeah, and then just held like some tissue there or something, and the next thing it was just fine. We got scar. That's progressive. That means dad was cooking. Dad probably had about 15 points, eight assists. So he was like, nah, I gotta finish this game. Wait a minute, off. wait a minute. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, you don't remember that part? That was that was in a part, that's why. <laughs> that, that might not have been, yeah, I love it. So hey, look. Let's rewind, because when I was kind of looking at the date, it was, it was almost like pretty much roughly a year ago since I came to watch you guys play. Yep. So I yep. brought David Evans with me. So David Evans, he played for me at Plymouth Raiders. He was a guy that we went to college together. And then he went off, he went back to Utah, and I kind of followed him out there. He coached high school and then ended up at this prep school, which was in the top five in the nation. So, a, a, you know, a big-time school. We had had a conversation about Cameron, and he was like, can we go and see him play? So, you know, he's, he's crazy for travel. I was like, yeah, no worries. I hadn't seen a game for a while. So we came up and watched you guys play. Look, afterwards, when we kind of sat down and I was, I was thinking about this today, afterwards, when we sat down, what I really enjoyed the most about the conversation was there was this underlying theme of battling for everything that you currently have. And I was trying to think to myself, what would be like something really valuable for people to listen to? And I think that what the listeners want to know is, you know, more about the struggle. You know, so we see the highlights, the performances at NBL one and the incredible debut at, at BBL level. And everyone thinks it's super easy. But Cameron, give us a few of those struggles, a few of those setbacks that you have had and you've had to battle through to get to this point. I think the biggest step back I have had was a couple of years ago when I did my ankle badly. This is summer, GB under 18, under 18s in the summer. Um, I was playing pretty well all season. You know, I was excited to come into it and I was playing pretty well. And then, you know, the first training session, no, the second training session of the first day, my ankle gone. Like I did a fadeaway towards the baseline, landed on the side massive egg instantly and I'm like oh this is it like you know this is a knockback for me and what's going to happen like, I'm in tears like crying like this is not meant to happen mm -hmm. type thing and then you know I lay down on the bench and the physio is like to me right you know you might have to take him to hospital and I'm like no you're joking like what's going on so then you know we left it there I think we've gone to hospital the next day I was in so much pain I phoned you up and I was like look like my ankle's done my career's over I'm like I was being so over dramatic <laughs> And but at the time I was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. That's how it felt. And then I get to the hospital 
I'm sat in a wheelchair, I'm waiting for like three hours. And then they go in there and the lady looks at it and like, looks at the, the surgeon, whatever, the doctor, and um, will be surprised if this isn't broken. And then that's like, another one has hit me again. Like the next day I'm finding out that it's probably broken. I'm like, you're joking. So there's so many things like behind the scenes that happens that you don't really notice or you don't really understand what's going on. And I think that the main thing for me was just at that point was getting back to me being able to play again. So I was doing all the rehab I could, you know, I was listening to the physio. He was telling me what I had to do. And as much as I wanted to just be like, look, let me just play through it now. Or after a couple of weeks, I was like, I'm fine. He's like, no, you're not fine type thing. Like, what are you on about? But, you know, just fighting through like those little, like I say little, those struggles is really important. I think that's one of the main things or main reasons I'm like here right now is because I'm so competitive and I don't want to give up. There's probably people out there that, you know, they might get that injury then they would, you know, leave it a couple months before they start doing rehab and stuff. And, you know, then, you know, a year later, they're not the same person. But I didn't want that to happen because I care so much. So I think that's one of the biggest setbacks I've had recently that I've managed to fight through. Go Can on. I jump in? Yeah, no. So when Cameron was 14, he was playing on a number of different teams. And, that, and, and Drew, you touched on this before about um, playing up, playing against men and everything else. One of the things for Cameron, we've always put him in a situation where he's played above his, probably his level or certainly his age to try and push him a little bit more. So at one stage, he was in a semi-final for his National League under 14s, under 16s, and then school under uh, whatever it was, year 10 or whatever. We went and played a game in Ipswich, which was a, a dead game. The season was over, didn't make any difference to positions or anything else. And the scary thing about it, the night before I went into him, I was like, look, you don't need to play tomorrow, okay? I'll not play you too much, but because you're my son, I can't just say I'm going to rest you. Because if I rest you, everyone else is like, well, why is he more important than, than us? So we're going to play the game. I'll be tactical. Like, you know, I won't play you too much. Four minutes into the game, bang, hits his hand. I'm like, he's all right. You know, uh, uh, get on with it. You're fine. Like, you, you're okay. You're okay. Three plays later, he bounces the basketball. And as soon as he bounces the basketball, he goes, ah, like this. And I'm like, what? What's going on? Throws the ball to a teammate, left-hand pass, nice pass. Anyway, comes over to me and he's literally on the court and he's never done this before, never called me this before. He's like, dad, it hurts so much. And I'm like, you've never called me dad. You don't not call me dad. I'm coach. Like, what's going on? So anyway, I'm like, sub, come on, sit down. You're all right. There's nothing wrong with you or whatever. And then he sits there for the rest of the, the half and, and just his lumps getting bigger and bigger on his hand. Ultimately, he goes to Ipswich Hospital and get an X-ray. Basically, he had a break in his spiral fracture or something in, in his hand. So he was out. So he then missed three semifinals right there and then. All the teams lost. So that none of those guys got to finals either. And... He then missed out on uh, going to the regional tournament. He then missed out, therefore, going to England. Mm. So his world's fallen apart at, at that age. And, you know, like you said about later on where you talked about GB, this was even earlier still. And it's like, I don't, we're like, I don't, I don't even know what to say. How do, I don't know what to say. But he took that and said, I'm not going to let this be the reason that I can't go beyond and do something else. And, and that's the following year he ended up going to Copenhagen with GB under 15s. And then it all, uh, sorry, yeah, England under 15s. And they all escalated from there. So there's, there's been knockbacks, like you say, like people don't see those sorts of things. Mm. But the biggest thing, as Cameron mentioned, is that that competitiveness that you can't hold me back. I don't want that to be the thing that holds me back was the thing that's driven him each time forward. And Cameron, I'll give you this advice. And to our listeners out there, you guys need to know that. Athletes are some of the most sensitive people ever. You know how many times I've said to my wife, oh, my foot's hurt and that's it. My career's done. <laughs> I've been like a, a thousand times. So Cameron, you're probably going to say that another hundred times. Yeah, totally, but then on the totally flip know. side as well, on the flip side as well, we're so stubborn, aren't we? Like on the court, you know, there's like, for example, the other week, in, in, I think it was against Bristol, I got hit in the head and the physio was like, okay, quickly bring him out. We've got to do a concussion test. I'm like, well, I'm fine. Like, let's just play type thing. And obviously she had to do it for safety reasons and stuff. But like, on the flip side, you can be like, right, I've just hit my head. Like, just get me out. I'm done for a week. Or like, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. It's just a little tap. Like, we can go either way as a basketball player. Yeah, exactly. As well. We had a couple of episodes ago. CJ Getty's actually outed Drew how much, you know, he needs looking after up there at Newcastle, especially as he's getting older, you know. He's uh... a lot older. 
<laughs> easy, easy now. <laughs> we always joke around the, about this bag that you used to have. So obviously we used to play together back in the day and he used to have this bag of toys that I never used to understand. He'd get them out, be rubbing his leg and, you know, like he'd have a specific one for his calf, a specific one for his, for his thighs. But then as we get older, we all understood like the guy's a genius and, uh, you know, he's ahead of the game. So look, what, what I want to ask you guys then, so I love hearing about the hardships because there's always going to be those particular times where you have to battle through something and that's where the growth happens. But at what point for you guys, did you really start to see things blow up? You know, so I'm not just talking about the fact where, oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at basketball, but where all of a sudden everybody else started to go, oh, wow, Cameron's really good at basketball. When, when did that kind of happen for you guys? I think for me, probably the first of, like it kind of slowly starting was probably at the finals where I was playing under 16s and under 18s uh, for Storm. And, you know, I was into the semi-final for both in the final fours. And the semi-final against Manchester, I think had like 35 points or something like that and like 11 rebounds. And then in the final, I had like 48. And then I was had like 26 or 22 or something in the semi-final for the under 18s. You had 48 but missed two free throws. And, <laughs> and, and then I had like 22 and so I don't know. I had good stats that weekend. I think that's when people started to realise that, you know, both the, at my own age group, I was doing pretty well. And then at the older grade, age group as well, I was still able to compete, even though they were much physically and strong. Because I was obviously 16 at this age, playing on 18s. And 16s to 18s is quite a big jump. Mm. And obviously then 18s to men's is even bigger. But at that time, I was like a 16-year-old playing against 18-year-olds, which are, you know, pretty much men at 18. Some of them are already fully grown muscle and stuff. So being able to show that, like, I would be able to compete at under 18s, I think that's when people started to realise. And then after that, you know, that season I had after that was pretty good. And then I think the main like blow up for me was probably ANGT recently when I, you know, I played for Barking in that. I had a great tournament. Uh, I was the all-star five, you know, I was top five in mo all, all thing. I think I was first in scoring efficiency and stills. You're something. top 10 in every category. Every category 26, yeah. five, four, and four. And that's, that's at the Adidas Next Generation tournament for those that didn't. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was in um, Kaunas in Lithuania. Uh, that was a year ago, like last weekend. It just came up on my phone memories a couple of days ago. It's like a year ago, like me filming the arena and stuff. So I think that was probably oh, a year ago, I guess, is when it kind of blew up kind of big time. But yeah. Because I remember seeing all the, the all the social media around that. And that's, that, that is around about the time when me and David Evans were talking because he was like going to do a recruitment trip to, I think he was like Spain and France. And he was already coming to visit me. And I was like, we need to see this camera kicks. I've been saying to him about you. And I was like, I don't know enough. But then that came up and I remember screenshotting it and sending it straight to David and saying, yeah, I think you want to check this kid out. It's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> so look, I know, I know you, you both have been like really trying to navigate the, the recruitment process for trying to head to America and play collegiately. But were there any other options on the table? So were there any sort of European pathways, that those kind of conversations, or was it all, always solely focused on heading to the States? I mean, my personal like focus was as a kid, you know, from day one, I want to go to college in America. That's my dream. I don't care what anything else happens. That's it. I'm going there type thing. I was set on that. And then, you know, as again, I got older and stuff, there was a few opportunities to go to like some low level European stuff. And at the time, I was like, you know, I don't, that's not my dream type thing. I kind of blade like through past me. And then as I got like to the AMG thing, that's when uh, the Adidas tournament, that's when um, I got a few more interests from like Spain and Germany and stuff like that. And then there was like, this kind of thing in my head like, okay, like there's people that have gone to Europe, done well, and still made it pro and that's been their job or even to the NBA, which is mm -hmm. still my goal right now. And, you know, most people my age is still have that goal if, you know, they're serious about basketball or whatever it may be. But I think, yeah, I, it's hard to put it, but... When you walked in to Canvas Arena, you said, oh, my God, this is like away. the NBA. Yeah, I mean... And then I think that's where you change. You're like, okay, well, if it's like the NBA, this is what I end up doing. Mm. This is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is, yeah, I've still made it, right? I've made it in Europe and, and whatever. But then there was still that side to me of, okay, if I go to Europe, I'm dropping out of education. So for whatever reason, like we've had this conversation a few times that I don't really like to admit it, but one day the ball's going to stop bouncing and it's what I'm going to do after that. 
So uh, in theory, I need something to be able to back it up for something that I want to do in the future, whether it's business or coaching somewhere else or whatever it may be. I still feel like that education side was really important. Mm-hmm. So there was a side to me thinking, you know what, I could go play pro and still have that type MBA, whatever it is, college basketball experience, or I can go to this college experience, have a, a degree out of it, meet like, you know, playing the best college basketball with for, for four years, potentially, you know, with education, you know, flying privately and all this amazing stuff that is a dream. And I think that's what still said to me, look, this is what I want to do. And my mind's not going to change. However, there was that small part of me that was like, could Europe be an option? But yeah, I mean, it's, I, I navigated it. So I had to navigate this whole thing with Jordan Blount. So I had an Irish kid come and, and play at the academy here in Plymouth. And we went through the same thing is, you know, I, I wanted to move him on and let him have that experience. And he, he had to get to that point where he had that choice. So he actually had uh, Real Madrid at the time knocking on his door. But at the same time, every time he, he saw that kind of American dream, like you said, it was just calling you to go in that direction. You know? Yeah, I think for me and Cam's mum, like we played devil's advocate throughout this whole process. We gave him all the options and every option he decided or it seemed like he would go down that route. But, well, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? Because we wanted to make sure he made the most educated decision about what he wanted. And, and I've spoken to this about to, to a lot of people about this whole process. If you are Lithuanian and you're growing up playing basketball in Lithuania, your aspirations are to play to writers. Your role models, your you know, the people you want to be and aspire to do is play at the top level in Lithuania. If you're German, maybe the same, but in the UK, and this is no disrespect to anybody playing in, mm. in the leagues or, or the, any of the clubs out there, but is your aspiration as a, as a 10, 11, 12-year-old, I want to play in the BBL? Like some, yes, of course, but actually is that your aspiring yeah. goal? Probably not. So what do we look to? We don't necessarily naturally gravitate towards Europe. We go, the bright lights of America, right? right? And, and that's, that's why I feel, you know, speaking to, to so many people throughout this whole recruitment process and everything else is that, you know, for Cameron, it was a no-brainer because that's, that's probably what was sold, inadvertently sold to him early on in, on, in his sort of playing days and stuff. Because yeah. that's where right. you go, that's where you achieve, that's when you, you, you know, get your goals and your dreams. It's, right. it's so a little bit easier as well because Europe is still there. Does that yeah. make sense as yeah. well? Like, so yeah. you can go and you've got to scratch at it. So when, when I was heading over to the States for, for a scholarship, it was the same thing. Like I was obsessed with that side of things, you know, and, and this is still here for him. Do you know what I mean? Like, so. Yeah. I'll be interested, Drew. What, how, how do you feel about that? Like, because obviously growing up in America, your heroes, your, you know, idols and everything were the NBA guys, right? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Europe didn't even exist. I didn't even know Europe existed, even though <laughs> I grew up in Germany. It was always the NBA. I mean, yeah. I never started considering Europe until probably about like the end of my junior year in college. And then I started thinking about, well, I, I want to continue this process. I want to have a career and and yeah. back then, this is before the G League was what it was now. It was either NBA or nothing else. So, yeah, I, I know. But let's talk. Let's pick up on that process. So when did Wake Forest come in the picture? And then how did you navigate through the recruiting process? Because you were also heavily recruited by uh, Utah, Georgia Tech, Xavier, and Ar- Arkansas. I think the first message was after ANGT. And there was a message through you and my uncle actually messaged <laughs> believe it or not Nick Nurse and um he messaged and was like oh yeah I'll get back to you type thing and then next thing you know it's like coach Steve Forbes is involved and that's like oh that's my best friend type thing Nick Nurse and Steve Forbes are the head coach of Wake Forest they're like great friends whatever and then they messaged me and then I was getting a really good relationship with coach Brooke Savage who was at Wake as well and that's when they first started messaging me, just started showing interest and stuff. And this was the first, like, kind of big school I had, like, the ACC. Um, I had, like, a couple of SEC, well, I had SEC as well, I think, at that time. And then one Big East, which was um, Xavier. And um, I, that's when they, like I said, after the ANGT, that's when they all kind of, like, the big ones started coming up. Like, before ANGT, I think I had one from Montana State, like, some mid-major schools. And, like, that's what I was over the moon about. I was like, oh, my God, it's full scholarship. Yeah, talk like, about Montana Okay, the first time I got, um, coach actually came to watch one of our training sessions. Yeah, Chris Haslam. And he came to watch and afterwards he was like, you know, he sat me down and I was kind of nervous. Like the first like proper conversation I've had with an American coach, like I never, I don't really, I'm not really good with interviews as well. 
And, really? Yeah. And then we started speaking and, you know, I'm just listening to him and like towards the end, he's like, so we're going to, we want to offer you like a full scholarship. And like, that was like, whoa, like blew my mind. Yes. I, I, just, I was like, yo, like, what is this? I was Where looking at dad, I like, no, let's just say yes now type thing. Like, <laughs> this is my dream. And I just sit back on my chair and I'm like, what? He actually just offered me like a full scholarship, everything paid for. Like I said, this was the mid-major school. So that was over the moon. I was like, okay, this is the stand on my map. Like, you know, this is potentially where I'm going to be type thing. And then like the year later, you know, I started getting these bigger schools. I'm like, hang on a minute. Am I this good type thing? Like, is this really happening? And then I got like the ACC school of Wake and I'm like, hang on, like, what's going on here? Like, this is crazy. Like playing against all these amazing teams. And this, the process was like this, you know, we got looking at one school and looking at their pros and cons and hang on, this school does this and this school has this and this school does this, but that school doesn't do that. And it's like, there was so much going on in my mind. And to be honest, like it was pretty stressful if, if we think about it, like, you know, always on my mind, like, I need to, I've got a Zoom call with coach tonight and I've got a Zoom call with this coach again tomorrow. But then this coach is messaging me how, asking how my recruitment's going and stuff. And it was all like overwhelming. And like, obviously I was very humble and appreciative of it because it's my dream, but I never really realized what it was going to be like. like. I never really realized how intense it was going to be and how serious it was going to be. But the whole process was amazing. And, you know, like right now, I wouldn't change, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right now I wouldn't change it for, for anything. Like it's, it's been amazing. Um, yeah. And I think one of the main reasons I kind of led towards Wake Forest because there was the final two. I had four, but the final two between Arkansas and Wake Forest. And I think at one point I was like, you know, Dad, like, Arkansas is good. Bro. Like, <laughs> I like in this school. I had a really good relationship with the coaches. You know, their facilities were unbelievable. Um, you know, everything about them was really good. And then my dad was like, just wait, come on, let's just listen to this, you know, what Wake have to say more because we haven't had proper loads of conversation with them. And then, like, I think it was like a week later or two weeks later, I was like, hang on wait for us <laughs> this is the one bro like i flipped back and i'm like these guys are just amazing everything they have obviously the acc as well you know that's like everyone's known best league you know acc is the you know biggest one type thing i mean the coaching staff the facilities the opportunities there just everything about them and yeah the education was also mainly for mom dad the education <laughs> was kind of the most like standing out for them for them being a private school as well and obviously safety as well. There was like three entrances to the whole campus and all of them have got like guards on them and security. So it's a very safe school. It's in a very nice area. I think that was just mainly the reason I chose Wake, to be honest. Every time I talk about it, I get like, I get really excited about it. Well, awesome. that's the whole point be. about, yeah you, <laughs> yeah, talked about yeah, you talked about, you know, your aspirations of playing college and when you reflect on it, when it's over, you will never forget this time. You know, that's yeah. what it's all about, like that recruiting time, because it won't be like that in the pros, obviously. But, um, you know, I also read in an ESPN magazine about how you were ultimately sold on, like, the family aspect of Wake, of how yeah. they made you feel. And then also, let's not forget that, although, like, you have aspirations of playing college, you also want to be a pro, too, because you mentioned about how the professionals athletes set up there was really appealing to you but is there anything in the role that they kind of envision you then there yeah I mean they're like kind of starting from fresh because all the coaching staff were at ETSU last year and then they've all came across coach Forbes came across and he brought everyone with him so they're kind of starting from fresh like didn't know the players they had like a game like two weeks like because obviously COVID as well so they weren't training yeah. at the time so they hadn't trained and they had a game in like two weeks but the current time when we're talking to them like we got a game in two weeks I haven't even met the players so they were like, had no clue who they were dealing with type thing. They had like very few training. This was like preseason games and stuff. They had very few training sessions. And the way coach was talking to me about my role is like, he wants me to come in here and have like an impact straight away. And I think this is one of the main reasons, again, why, I, you know, lent towards Wake was because, you know, I want to come in here and I want to be able to prove that I'm able to play. And obviously I'm going to have to go there and still prove I'm not just going to be able to walk on and play you know, as many minutes as I want to be type thing, but I'm going to have to go there and prove. But I think the role that they were telling me, like, I think they did a video on their style of play and my style of play. And it was like a clip for clip. It's what they do and then what I did. And it was like matching. And I was like, hang on, like, I fit in pretty well here. This is going to be nice. <laughs> and then the coach is like, this is how we see you. And I'm like, okay, I like this. You know, the way they play is very similar to how I play. And as like I said at the beginning, like coach, wanted me to have a big role in the team and I think that's kind of important for me and the fact that they're starting fresh as well I think that's you know something I can come in and then be an impact and help 
you know, build something. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things for us as well when speaking to the to coaching staff. They they're going in there with a point to prove. They've had success at, at their relative level, but now they've got a point to prove. And and I I can you know stand by this. When Cam's got a point to prove, that's when he's at his best. When he's got a chip on his shoulder, that's when he's at his best. When someone tells him he can't do something, that's when he's at his best. When he was three years old, Cam, and you can't get to bed in three seconds. Like, come on, like, there's no way. He's up there in two saying, ready? Like, that. that's it. Like, tell him you can't do it, and he'll do it. Yeah, hence why he had a game winner against the team that told him he couldn't do it the previous week. <laughs> that's exactly what he said. He yeah. said, you are not ready for America. I want to focus a little bit on the BBL because I know then that that's kind of leaning into our very, very patient winners here and their <laughs> questions. So look, I'm sure I'm, I'm echoing a lot of, you know, British basketball fans by saying I was so excited that we were going to get to see you play in the BBL before you headed to Wake Forest. You know, I didn't want these questions hanging in the ether, wondering if at that age you could have made the transition, you know, so I'm glad we're getting those answers now, but you know, a few questions on that. Why not the BBL to start the season? Because I'm guessing you had some offers on the table. I'm guessing there's some people that were, you know, trying to talk to you about getting you ready for the, for the college game. Why not the BBL to start off with? So basically, the situation is everything we've gone through with, with Cameron has tried to be a calculated decision. We've put pros and cons on the table. And we've looked at every different opportunity for him. And I think that the successes he had last season were due to the amount of contact time he had at school with, with the coaching staff we have at the school, with a combination of his junior basketball alongside the Worthy Thunder environment in Division One, which really was just an opportunity for him to go out there, you know, and, and showcase what he could do, the style of play and everything else. It worked perfectly. And, and, and I'm clearly looking back, hindsight's a beautiful thing, but I don't think anybody could argue that that was the best thing for him. So going into this year, I, I, I was the one saying, look, I think you need to make that step up to BBL. I think you need to push yourself a little bit more because now you've got your opportunity. It's now purely about your development. You don't need accolades. You don't need to win this, to win that, to do this, to do that. You need to prepare. And to be honest with you, you know, London Lions, Vince was, was great. He contacted us. He offered Cameron a contract. And, and, you know, we spoke on a number of occasions, but just purely the logistics of his education, and alongside the travel, I mean, you know, that they, they, there was ways around that potentially, but we actually just felt, you know what, let's keep you developing, because ultimately it's about your development, you know, keep, let's keep you development, developing day to day, you still have your Worthing Thunder environment, you know, almost like if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess, to, to some extent, COVID changed everything, it changed everything, you know, so I've spoken to lots of people about this recently, so the, the weekend that I spoke to Creon at, at, at Surrey, Cameron had played 55 games the year before at that weekend. Mm. At that weekend this year, he played nine. So, you know, there's nothing equal to that. He was practicing 17 to 18 hours a week this time last year. He was practicing four and a half hours a week this year. So something then needed to change. And, and we sort of, we waited. Like everybody's waiting and everything they're doing right now. What's the government going to say? What can we do? What can't we do? What can, and it, we just waited and waited. And it just got to the point where, you know, a few weeks later than I would have liked, I just said, look, enough's enough. Like you, you have to prepare. You have to be selfish. Mm. And, and that's not nice, but that's the world that a professional athlete lives in. You have to be selfish. Right. Nobody else is really going to look out for you. You've got to look out for yourself and, and you need to put yourself in an environment. Worthing were absolutely fantastic. Zaire was absolutely fantastic, completely supportive. He understood why. He was encouraging us to why. And then, yeah, it was a no-brainer. Spoke to Creon. And, and, and to be you know really honest with you, when I spoke to Creon on day one, it was like, Creon, can you really help us out? Would you mind if Cameron came and practiced with you? He just needs contact time. He needs to be on the floor. He needs to be working out. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, fine, no problem. And I was like, but he's still going to practice with Worthing. He's still going to play with Worthing. Yeah, that's fine, no problem. Two weeks into it, it was it was a no-brainer for everybody that it was the right move to, you know, to, to play at that level. And, and even at the even at the sacrifice to playing less minutes, it was the quality and it was the the everything that comes with it. We were aware that for his development, this was hands down the best thing for him. And, and we haven't looked back really. And you know, oh, it's only been four weeks now, but we haven't looked back. It's been great. 
I love it. Great. Yeah. Great. A great experience so far for sure. And lastly, for me, I know you guys have seen that dream, that Gino Crandell pass last night against the, the Eagles. That was crazy. And look, if, if I was to say to myself, if there was one other person in the league that would have the guts to go for a pass like that, I would say it's probably you, Cameron. What did you kind of make of that pass? Because it wasn't in a dead rubber game. This was, this was really tight, really close. And it was Drew on the court. Decided that, you know? No, 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 I wasn't on the court. That's why that pass got through. (laughs) When I first saw it, I was like, hang on, let's go through, let's go back and watch it. And I tried to figure out what he did. Like, he went one way, put it through his legs, and then behind the back. And I watched it like five times, and then I said it to him, and I was like, have you seen this pass? This is crazy. Like, I just, it was mind-blowing. I was like, he got right through the defenders, straight to his hand. And like, I try some crafty passes, like, and I don't think I could pull that off, I don't think, but I'd probably try it. Did you not try it today in practice? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But that's, the, that's the fun of it, isn't it? Everybody, it gives everybody a talking point, and that's what I'm talking about this year. There's so many players to talk about. So you coming out there and hitting that game winner, is it, it, that's a dream debut right there. But, you know, Gino has brought so much fun. And I think for me at the start of the year, when I saw him in the preseason, I was trying to decide, is there some substance to that? And I, I don't think there's many players. I can't think of a player that really plays like he plays, but has that real genuine substance to his game as well. Drew, when you were kind of watching that in real time, did it come across as, as sweet as it did in the replays? Were you like, wow, I was sitting on the bench, so I had a close view on it, and I was like, this dude can play. And I, I mean, I haven't said that about a lot of guards in this league, but he can really play. Like you said, he has substance as well. So he has that flash. And usually guys like that, they're normally street ballers, right? Like you mm. usually see them on highlight tapes or and one mixtapes. You don't see them playing in professional games. So he can play. He can play. That's for sure. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's get our winners in the room they've been patiently waiting guys take yourselves off of mute okay so we're going to get straight into this cam you are going to choose the people that you want to ask the question so if you pick your first guest and they will ask their question uh, no offense to anyone <laughs> we say that we'll start with this. <laughs> hi both yeah my question is to, to you cameron how do you feel yourself about seeing all the hype about being the next big thing in great British basketball. And do you feel that comes with like a responsibility as well? I mean, obviously there's a lot of hype around basketball and that, you know, multiple, especially around my age group, there's a lot of hype. I think taking responsibility of it and producing and all that stuff kind of just, it doesn't really phase me. I just go out there and just play how I think I should play and play hard and whatever hype comes with it, you know, I'm humble to receive it and, you know, share the love and appreciative of it all. But I think there's no pressure or anything for me around the hype. But yeah. Can I jump in? Go on. As always, sorry. So after the game against Thames Valley, the game winner that we've mentioned a couple of times, and I think this is something that's resonated through Cameron through his whole life and everything else. I was sat in the car park. He came in, opened the door and sat down and was like, yeah, let's go, let's go, like this or whatever. And I was like, Cameron, Cameron. And he said, and literally interrupted me. He's like, I know, I know, stay humble, stay humble. I know, I know. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, but I'm gas though, I'm gas. But, but no, and, and honestly, you know, like obviously I'm biased and I try not to be. The reality with Cameron is that all the hype that comes with it, he's very grounded because we wouldn't have it any other way because I don't feel that you should be any other way because he's experienced that for so long. Any of the hype is, is it's not superficial, but it's like, okay, I know it's happening, but the reality is this is what I'm about and this is what I'm trying to be. So it's, it's irrelevant at this point. No, I think sometimes with the hype, like it can go one or two ways. I think, you know, after like something really cool happened, I think, you know, go on social media and I'm like, yeah, like, I'm on social media. I've got this clout, like, everyone's coming for me. And then I don't, that's not the way I like to see it because if I see it like that, I'm like, okay, then I go into the next game. I'm like, well, I'm going to get a really cool highlight. And then, then Hoopsfix is going to post me or something like that. <laughs> and then I'm like, hang on, let's, let's not worry about that. Because if I worry too much about that, it's going to affect how I play. So I feel like, you know, if I just go into the game, clear-minded, whatever happens, happens, something. At the end of the day, it's sport. Anything can happen, right? Mm. Like, I didn't know. I didn't. I couldn't 
tell you that I was going to score the game winner, but it happened and I'm appreciative of it. But, you know, like I said, like the hype and stuff is is separate and doesn't really phase me. Like I try and just stay level-headed with that type of stuff. And you can, I think a good thing as well is this season for you is you can stay relatively fearless, right? You know, you, you've got nothing to lose in this situation. But I think to answer your question as well, Chris, to go in a little bit, because I've seen it on social media is that, we need to get used to the fact that this is the new norm and, and continue to grow that because that's how the game is going to grow is by building the characters within the game and talking about those characters in the game. I think I saw a few people that sort of said that we overhype British players and stuff like that. And I was struggling to think of a player that we do that to. I don't think that we talk enough about our British players. I know mm. I'll, I'll drop a name right now. I know Orland Jackman that goes on about it all the time on social media. And he's always messaging me as well that we don't talk about it enough, even player of the weeks and stuff. He's like, Oh, you know, who should have been in there? And I'm like, you know, we got Ashley Hamilton in there and, we got some really great British players, but I think Cam coming along, Cameron, sorry, mum, <laughs> I think is is just great for the game. That highlights what we need to be doing more of. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody's spoken outlandishly about your talent. We're calling it as we see it. You came in a debut in a BBL game. You, you hit a game winner. You put up some serious numbers. We celebrated that. You know, I don't think that we were turning around and using outlandish names or... Do you know what I mean? That, that, that kind of pressure. We were just celebrating a, a good British talent. So I think it's good. Thank All you. right. Who's next? Let's go with Jack. Okay, then. Um, firstly, congratulations. You know, Wake Thank Forest, a great organisation to be joining. And I want to touch a little bit on the American university scene again, because unfortunately I've, I've watched some university basketball across there, interacted with some of the crazy fans from Gonzaga, you know, in terms of, and, and you touched in terms of what the coaches had chatted with you about what they want you to bring, but what have they told you to expect? Because you're walking into something completely different to what you've been used to to date. And I'm just interested in terms of what they've told you, but also what you're expecting. It's funny you say that because recently, like actually a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to a coach, one of the assistant coaches there. And I was like to him, like, coach, like, I'm kind of worried now, like, <laughs> You know, I've come into from Division One, and I've done, I've done this, and I've come to BBR, and I'm doing this, and like now I'm going to go to like wait, like what's going to happen? Like I'm starting to start overthinking everything. Like God, like what am I going to do? Am I going to be good enough to be there? Type thing. Like what's it going to be like? And I think the main thing he said to me that I need to be like prepared for is the pace of the game. I think college basketball, like their pace and the way they run and defense, is just crazy compared to like. No disrespect, but I think here like the game can be slowed down a lot more. Whereas college basketball, I think the pace is get it and go and the defense is always intense you know there's like the whole game like you have to stay focused if you're not if you switch off for one play the guy's going back door and you get a layup I think that's one of the main things to expect but then another thing that coach told me about that you know to be prepared for is just the fact that your work ethic has to be so high and I think to be honest I don't think that's a problem for me because I feel like I work hard a lot I think I'm like, you know, I'm always competing in training, like, you know, if we're trying to win the scrimmage in training, like, I'll get mad if we don't win type thing. So I think my work ethic is pretty good. And I think being in, you know, competing against those great guys that are there already and in that league is going to be a challenge for me. But it's something that I'm going to have to work for. And I think that's what I kind of need. Like, If I go into an environment where I'm comfortable, I may not play as well as I can. Whereas if I go into an environment unexpected, I think I'm going to be able to play and produce or be able to play better. Right. And what you mentioned, is, Cameron, is called appropriate fear. And, and I think that's required out of every professional basketball player. And fans probably don't realize that, but we're some of the most insecure people in the world because we always have that feeling that we're not good enough. That is what drives us and makes us work so hard, spend so much time and so many hours in the gym because we always got to make sure. So that is a normal trait out of a professional athlete. So keep that, keep that appropriate fear. That fear of failure, isn't it? At the end of the day, hundred percent. Yeah, and it drives it drives you on. But I tell you, I tell you, one thing that you need to be ready for also is the gear. That's going to change absolutely massively. You know, you're going to be like, you're, you're used to like one shirt. You know, he's, he's probably been wearing that Surrey top. You know, that's the only one he's got. His mum's got to keep right. Whereas at Wake Forest. I know exactly how that stuff works. That, you go that's in, going to be like, hey, make sure I get some shorts, son. I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> hang, hang on. This is, I'm going to call you out here. So when we, was, when we were recruiting, or when we were, Cameron was being recruited, 
he was literally going, well, they're not a Nike school. They're, they're, <laughs> they're Under Armour. Well, hang on. They're really good education. Like, this is the best education ever. Look at the basketball team. They're incredible. They're Adidas. I'm like, no, no. How is that going to be the deciding factor? That was That's true. That was true. <laughs> so, so, you know, when you talk about Wake Forest again, let's, let's hype them up. Education, ding. Basketball, ding. Nike, ding. ding. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It's a win. And the fact they're a test school. Oh, yeah, they're a test school, aren't they? Probably. And CP3 gives them shoes, like, limited edition and stuff. So, so oh, just... I mean, it's it, it's literally, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Because I, I know, well, I had a back injury. So I was supposed to go to San Francisco. I had a back injury. And my coach from, so I went the junior college route. And um, he sent me for the summer down to UCLA because he knew the coach down there. The first day he was like this. So they were Adidas. So, yeah, I'm the same as you, a, a night guy. But they sent me to the to the office to go and get stuff, and I just I didn't even know what I didn't even know how to carry all the stuff. They were and they were just like, yeah, but you got to come back tomorrow and get more stuff. And I was like, what? This is insane, you know? Because junior yeah. college, you don't get nothing in junior college. So <laughs> anyway, a different lifestyle. That's it. And en- enough about me. Anyway, right. Your third pick, Cameron. Your third pick. Third pick. Let's go for Joseph. Hi, Chibo. It's great to see you in the league, Cameron. Uh, my question you. is, with the league being so strong this year, is there any particular team or matchup you're most looking forward to or someone you're looking forward to playing against? I was speaking to Coach Savage yesterday about, like, you know, matchups and everything and, like, talking about competition. And I sent him the video of Gino and I was like, this guy's tough, Coach. Like, he's nice. And then he was like, go at him then. And that kind of triggers something in my mind, like, you know, I want to be able to go, I want to go and guard him type thing. Like, that's like, I want to take that on my chest. You know, we played Manchester and, you know, the guy was, I forget his name, so, Cassell was dropping like 20 points, whatever. And then in the fourth quarter, I started to guard him and I was like, hang on, let me just challenge myself not to let him score when I'm guarding him. And I did that. And I, I don't believe he scored on me when I was guarding him for that period of time. So I think when I go to see Gino and like how amazing he is at play, like it might be different, who knows, but... I still want to go in there and take it on the chest and be like, you know, I want to be able to try and stop this guy. So I think that's one of the main matchups or yeah. games G- I'm looking Gino's a big to. listener, man. Gino's a big listener. I know he's going to be hyping this. I was thinking, I was thinking about Keeling as well, you know, because Keeling was at North Carolina. So that's an ACC guy that could yeah. give you a little bit of an understanding of uh, the, the levels too, you know? Yeah. I mean, at training as well, going against Tony and Cash, Connor Cash or, I think those two obviously being D1 players as well was great for me and like improving my defense already. So, you know, what, what have like, those guys been saying to you just out of interest, you know, because I'm sure that, you know, they've gone into big bro mentality and trying to get you ready and stuff. What, what have those yeah, guys been real. saying to you? I mean, those guys have been great for me so far. Like with the short amount of time that I've been around them and stuff, like on and off the court, they've been some great mentors. Like that's what I said in that first interview I had with Sorry. He was like, you know, what's it going to be like playing with these guys? And I'm like, you know, they've already touched on being great mentors. And a few weeks in, I've, you know, realize that they're there for me like, a lot of the time. Like, would I need something to help off the court or on the court? They're there for me. They, you know, they're almost telling me like what to expect as well. And the situation I'm in at Surrey is, you know, different to what it's been in at Thunder, which is different to Juniors, which is going to be different to Wake Forest. And I think they're kind of just, you know, allowing me to understand what's going on and different situations, different scenarios I'm in. I think they're helping me with what I need to be doing, like during training and then at game time, like picking and selecting the right passes, the right shots. And if I don't do something right, I'm like, damn, I shouldn't have done this. It's okay, like head up type thing. And you can do this instead next time. So I think already I've learned loads from those two. And yeah, like I said, they're great mentors to me. So I'm I'm pleased to be working with them. I love it. Okay, who's who's next? Oh, final two. Let's go for Benji. (laughs) No offense, Marcel. All right, so my question is, is there anyone like um, from either NBA or BBL or anywhere that you sort of try and model your game after? Or, you know, alternatively, do you try and say, oh, I'm going to try and play my own game, you know, not really focus on anyone else, try and be my own player? That's a good question. Because recently, when people have asked me, like, who do I compare myself to or what style of game, like... When I was like probably four years ago, maybe I was like JJ Reddick, like this guy's a baller. The way he oh, plays yeah. and stuff, like the way he can get himself open, the way he uses screens, the shot selection he takes, his quick release. I was like, this guy's a baller. Like, let me try and be like him. <laughs> and then when I start like watching like my own tape back sometimes and watching how I play and the style of play, like I may be wrong, but I feel like I'm fairly similar to Kyrie in a way. 
that he creates for himself like he finishes in variety of obviously way better than me but he you know finishes in a variety of ways around the basket with different moves he create he has that mid-range jump shot he can shoot the three his handling's pretty well and his defense is you know pretty good as well so i think when i'm comparing like skill for skill i feel like me and him like kind of similar type of players if that makes sense but in the bbl you said about drew lasker <laughs> He wasn't yeah. even born when I was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, yeah. that's a that's a great that's a great comparison though because that's the biggest thing that stood out for me. Two things: firstly, that you can uh, create your own shot, and then secondly, like your uh, the way you can finish around the basket uh, with both hands. Um, you're really agile. You can move in really small spaces. So, Kyrie, I like that comparison. Mm. And I, I, li I like I like the way that you finish in so many different variety of ways because I think that's going to be the one thing I think that you're going to have to get used to is that size and that athleticism and yeah. that length. And I think the BBO is going to give you a little bit of that, but then you're going to go to that next level again. And that's why I think you'll you'll be okay because you're, you're you're athletic. But I'm talking <laughs> about there will be there's athletes and then there's athletes ACC athletes you know so it's, it's going to be good for you I, I, I like that kind of matchup yeah right. it's funny about that because um I was Go just on. saying during the week like I was speaking to Tony about finishing and like how he finishes is everything's over the defense over, like around the, the, the hook shot type thing I'm like you know I need to get that in my bag type thing and he said like because he's always been smaller he's always had to do that whole floaters the around the defense and when I was talking to him I'm like I feel like I'm more go into the defense or around them type thing i never really do the high floaters or the like you know the hook shot layups and he was like to me that's fine though there's not a right or wrong way to do it he said obviously in you know the next level up you're gonna have to adjust and maybe do different moves but he's like don't change the way you're playing right now like don't suddenly just think okay this guy's seven foot i have to shoot a floater there's other ways to score around that seven foot it might be like a quick pull up so he can't get to you or it might be doing going around you because you're quicker than him so I think that's one of the main things as well about the finishing, just like looking and analyzing different ways to finish around the basket as well. Yeah, there's a, there's always going to be something that those guys are weak at as well, and I think that that's what great yeah. guards do is is figure out how to attack those particular weaknesses. So even even the best shot blockers, they're going to have some kind of weakness, or that they don't like it if you go to your left or whatever it is. So I'm sure you will figure it out, like your dad said. You know, you, you you're taking in the game at a different level. Okay. Yeah. Last but not least. Uh, so from, from playing in D1, you know, for Worthing, is there any, you know, what, what are the differences in, you know, the infrastructure, the, the schedule in, in D1 in comparison to the BBL in Surrey? So the Division 1 men's was, I think last year, the structure throughout, like, the way we played, obviously because COVID is so difficult right now, you yeah. can't read the same things, but we were training for the division one. We were training three times a week. It was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then obviously games in the weekend. And then, you know, sometimes before you're able to go into the gym, I wasn't one of them because I had schoolwork and after school stuff, but there was that opportunity there. But I think the difference between the, the where I'm at now is sorry, is I'm training every single day. So I'm training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, game day, Friday. Um, next week, we're playing Lions on Wednesday, so we won't be training them. But I'm training every day and every day's for two hours. And then after that, we have either an S&C session or a mobility session. So I'm there for about three, three hours, three and a half hours type thing. So, and that's every day. And at the beginning of like training with Sari, I was like, hang on, I get a bit out of breath after the first session. And now I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm back in my shape that I was when, before COVID, when I'm playing basketball. So I think the BBL and Sari, I'm having more contact time, more like access to playing, like, you know, cardio-wise and also for strengthening as well. We have S&C sessions three times a week and then twice is or once is the mobility stuff. So I think that's kind of the difference between the D1 and the BBR at the moment, which I've mainly noticed. Sorry to jump in. I think also just naturally the the quality of play yeah. in a training session as well. You know, and, and again, that's no disrespect to, to Division 1, but, you know, the, the quality of player and the everybody you go up against at Surrey is playing at that super intense, you know, either trying to prove a point to get more minutes, either just a, that that's their mindset to push themselves a little bit more, you know, regardless of the fact you're practicing every day, actually the level of intensity of those practices is a, is a much higher level as well, right? Yeah, I mean, especially as like, when you look at it, people that are in the BBL, that's kind of their job. Like, you know, they're 
getting paid to play, you know, that's their life at the moment. They wake up, they go to train, they do a thing, they see each other and they come home and they chill. Whereas some, a couple of people that I was playing on in the previous team for Thunder, they might have like a nine to five job and then train in the evening and then go home and still have to finish some work. So then they might be like, you know, I've just worked for ages. I'm coming to training, like, you know, let me work hard. But like, I'm now, you know, two hours of now training, but I've just done eight hours of work type thing. So I'm now kind of tired and they might not have the same energy. So I think, you know, the change between that as well as becoming like the BBL being more of a pro player, you know, that's the job type thing. And then division one being a pro player, but, you know, with a side job, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Great, great answer. So good questions, guys. Yeah, yeah. very good question, guys. So guys, listen, we, we want you guys to stick around, but we need to let Dan and Cam go. I do one. I do not want mum on my case that, uh, you know, you, you're staying up too late when you should be resting. And also, even worse than that, I don't want Coach Creon coming on and saying that we're distracting you too much. So we will <laughs> let you guys go. Thank awesome. you so much for your time. You know, we, I Thank think we could have much. easily carried on for a couple more hours there just chatting away. But um, yeah. we appreciate, appreciate it. And we'll, we'll catch up with you again towards the end of the year and, um, you know, see, see how you're faring. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Okay, it was great to spend time with Daniel and Cameron. We appreciate their time. And to have that fan experience was definitely something special. Thanks to our five winners. We hope you enjoyed yourselves. So much more to come these next few months, from prizes to more experiences. So watch this space. That's it for me. Thanks for listening. As always, have a great week. Remember, fight like the third animal on the ramp to Noah's Ark. Marriott, out. In the memory of Kobe Bean Bryant, episode 24 is a wrap. Thank you to the Sunday Night Breakdown for their contribution to the Alaska Look Back. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And look out for the BBL Show's Patreon coming soon. We would love your support. See you next week as we bring on GB's General Teddy Okarifor. Have a great week, guys. And we will see you next week. On the show. The show. Thanks for listening to the BBL show. The BBL show is a 21 media original podcast produced by Corey Mallory with your host, Jay Marriott and Drew Lasker. Keep up to date with the show by following the BBL on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you can find details on future episodes, events, and fan interaction. Until next time.